Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Go ahead, open your Bible to um, the book of Acts. We're going to look at chapter 2 today. How many of y'all love the Word of God? Three of y'all, praise God. I need to maybe do a series on the Word of God. How many of y'all love the Word of God? Y'all, y'all love it? Okay, okay there, I, I thought so. Okay. I know you're just turning there. So let's, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and Acts. Yeah. Go ahead and turn to chapter 2. We are now in part 4 of this series, but we're still in chapter 2. That's y'all's fault. Y'all will not let me get out of chapter two. That's y'all's fault. Uh, I'm teasing. But we're going we're to stay here uh, probably for another, we'll probably do today and then next Sunday and that'll, that'll be it. But let's pray before we get started. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, it's the day you've made. We rejoice. We're so glad in it. We're glad to be here with you today, Lord, in your presence. I'm so glad to be here with all my friends at the Midtown Campus. And I pray today, Lord, that you would speak through me as, as I preach your word. I pray that, that they would hear your voice, not mine, but your voice. And so, God, we love you. We thank you. You're a good God. You always do, God. Always do good. And we just, we worship you, Lord, this morning. And we just give you thanks. We're so, we're so thankful for you, God. And so, Lord, today, open up hearts, open up minds, do what only you can do. And we pray all these things in the awesome, wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, as we get started this morning, um, let me begin by saying that I, I really hope that this message series has been a blessing to you guys. If, if you remember, we, we went through 14 messages from the book of Revelation. Y'all remember that? Yeah. Wasn't that long ago. Uh, and I always say, you know, you made it through that. If you made it through 14 messages through the book of Revelation, you can make it through any sermon series, right? Uh, and so I really, I hope that you have enjoyed this sermon series from Acts. And uh, I'm going to continue in it for a while. I don't know when I'm going to end. We'll be done when we're done, as I've been saying. But here's what I want you guys to know. Uh, Preaching is hard work. It really is. I mean, people ask, hey, Pastor Scott, I mean, you look fit. Like, what do you do for cardio? The answer is, I preach. <laughs> right? I mean, I lift weights at Reds. Uh, see my friends, Troy, that. But, I mean, cardio is right here. Y'all, y'all understand the way I communicate. I'm very passionate. Uh, y'all know when the veins start coming, come on, something big's about to pop. Right? There's a big truth. And that's just the way I am. That's the way I, I communicate. Uh, but it, it's, hard, it's hard work. And I want you guys to know that I don't take this lightly. Uh, I study my tail off. I don't, I don't just show up on Sunday and just hope to get something while I'm up here. I do share some kind of off-the-cuff things, some things that we need to take off the recording before it goes online. But, but for the most part, I'm, I'm very well thought out. I put my message together and, and I work. I work very, very hard. And so when you look out today at, at preaching, I mean, there are all kinds of different communicators out there. But here's what I want, here's what I want you to know. My main, my main goal uh, is to show up every single Sunday. And I, I, want to, I want to hook you with a good introduction. Um, every great preacher will tell you that one of the most important parts of a sermon is the introduction. Now, the body and the conclusion are also important, but every preacher has about you know, three to maybe five minutes to, to capture his audience's attention because when you, when you capture the attention, then you can bring them into the Word of God. But if you fail to capture people's attention, if I don't convince you within the first few minutes that what I'm saying is important, you're going to zone out. You might check Facebook. You might not leave, but you might be in another world. I know that never happens to anyone here. But, but are y'all with me? It takes, it takes some hard work, uh, especially on the front end, to, to capture your attention. And it's really hard to fall asleep when I'm preaching because I'm so active up here, burning calories. I'm so passionate. But I, I, I don't want that to be the main thing. But listen, I'll, I'll use whatever I can to capture your attention. But here's what I, here's what I want you to hear today. That, that my words don't change you. Okay, we live in a world, a Christian world of cliches, fancy one liners that sometimes are true, sometimes are half true, which means they're not really true. We live in a world of on Facebook. Everybody's got a thought to say to share. And there's so much floating around out there, so many sayings. And here's my heart. My heart is not to impress you with words and phrases I come up with. My heart, my goal is to get you as quickly as I can to the Word of God. 
My words will not change you. No preacher's words will change you. It's the Word of God that will change you. And as I speak His words to you, come on, y'all, the Spirit and the Word will produce change in your life. Are y'all with me? So that's, that's my burden. I come up here every Sunday, and I, just, I want to give you God's words. I don't want to entertain you. I don't want to impress you. I just want to equip you with the Word of God. Is that okay? If it's not, I'm sorry. That's what I'm going to keep doing. But are y'all with me? And so look at this. This is the way it works. And I'm just bringing you into my world. Again, I've got about three to five minutes to hook you. Everybody say hook. I've got to hook you. I've got to give you something that, that will, will grab your attention and pull you in to hear the rest of what God has to say. Uh, when I think about uh, the introduction, my mind immediately goes back to the book of Acts, honestly. When I think about like the, the, the greatest attention grabber in all of preaching history, well, it took place on the day of Pentecost. How many of y'all remember the story? I shared it last Sunday. The day of Pentecost was a wild day. How many of y'all remember what that day is all about? Well, last Sunday I preached on it, and just let me give you just a little, little quick summary. On the day of Pentecost, Jews from all over the world, hundreds of thousands, were gathered in Jerusalem. And come on, Cajuns, it was festival time. Y'all remember that from last Sunday? Jews from everywhere had come uh, 50 days after Passover to celebrate Pentecost. Jews were in town in Jerusalem celebrating God's goodness, celebrating God's provision, celebrating the wheat harvest. But it was on that day, if you remember, that the, the believers, 120, were, where, where were they gathered? Y'all remember? In the upper in the upper room. They were gathered in the upper room. They had been praying. They have been waiting on the Holy Spirit. You remember in Acts 1, Jesus said, listen, I'm going to send you into Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. But remember what he said? Do you remember? What did he say? He said, don't leave the city. You've got to wait right here in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the, the Holy Spirit. Do you all remember all that? So, so the, 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 the believers, they gathered in Jerusalem and they obeyed Jesus. They waited there. They're in the upper room. And all of a sudden, the Bible takes us in chapter 2 right into this incredible moment, this incredible festival called Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. And there they are gathered. And then all of a sudden, you remember what happened? There was the sound like a what? A mighty rushing. Y'all remember that? Like it wasn't a, a, a literal wind. It was the sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the place. But then Luke goes on to describe this scene in the upper room. Uh, there were uh, little tongues as of fire that descended on each one of the 120. That there was a, an infilling of the Holy Spirit. God poured out His Spirit on them in the upper room. And do you remember what they started doing that was kind of freaky? What did they do? They spoke in what? They spoke in tongues. I said last Sunday that this was the first wild Pentecostal service. They're in this upper room. The Holy Spirit came. He filled them. And when He filled them, He gave them the utterance to speak in languages that they didn't have time to learn. God just gave them the language and they declared the mighty works of God. All right, are y'all with me? Just a little introduction. This all took place in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. It was the day to party. It was the day to celebrate. And apparently it was the day to speak in languages they'd never learned. Now, as they did this, they probably spilled out from the upper room onto the streets where Jews from everywhere, from all different nations, were gathered. And these Jews who were watching all of this, what did they think? You remember? They heard it all. They saw it all. All these you know, 120 speaking in tongues. And what did they think? They thought they had been up all night doing what? Drinking. Drinking. These men are drunk. They've been up since 1 a.m. drinking wild turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been up drinking. They're drunk. They're drunk. And then, but, uh, but others, others just raise the question, okay, okay, we see this and we hear all this, but it's a legitimate question. What does all this mean? Okay, watch this. This is the Holy Spirit setting the Apostle Peter up for the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. I mean, this is like the Holy Spirit giving Peter a softball like this big and putting it on the tee for Peter. What do I mean by that? The Holy Spirit created a scenario that got people's attention. 
The Holy Spirit created a scenario in these disciples that, that, that drew the crowd in to provoke them to ask the question, what does all of this mean? Now check it out. They are like this. I mean, literally, Peter had them in the palm of his hand. A captive audience. They're actually asking, what does this mean? Now, y'all remember what Peter said. He starts by saying, well, these men are not drunk, as you suppose, because it's only what time? It's only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. They, they're not drunk, okay? That, that's not what it is. They have not been up all night, all morning. It's not, it's not alcohol, Instead, Peter goes back to the Old Testament. We call it that. And he quotes from the book of Joel. And he quotes from Joel. And Joel looked forward to the day when the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. Basically, Peter said, this isn't about alcohol. This is about the power and the presence of God who's being poured out. And how many of y'all know when the Spirit comes, He can make you do some freaky things? When the Spirit comes, he, he, will, he will transform you where you become a sign and a wonder to the world that you live in. To, I said it last week. Your changed life doesn't change anybody else's life, but your changed life is a sign and a wonder that will get their attention so that they can hear the word that changed you. And if it changed you, it will also change them. Are y'all with me? The, the, the Holy Spirit created this scenario. I mean, the greatest attention grabber in the history of the church, which wasn't very long because this was the first message ever preached. But it was powerful. A sound like a mighty rushing wind. Tongues is a fire. Speaking in tongues are spilling out, declaring the wonderful works of God. What does all of this mean? Well, again, Peter, man, he's got this, he's got this captive audience. And they're like, tell us. Now, one of my old pastors, he had the privilege of preaching one time to a million people, a million people in Africa. Obviously, it was an outdoor gathering, a million people in one Sunday morning service. Think about that for a second. Now, what do you say to a million people? I'll tell you what I'd say. If I'll, I'll just give one dollar. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just one dollar would meet the need. No, no, no. But, but listen, Peter, <laughs> y'all made me do that. Listen, P Peter has this captive audience, and they're asking, what's all this mean? And so Peter steps up. He quotes from Joel. He quotes, watch this, the Bible to give the explanation for what was going on. Listen to me. When someone asks you, what does all this mean? What does all this you know, church stuff mean? What does your changed life mean? What do small groups mean? You know, what, what is all this on Sunday? I mean, I, I used to know you and you were addicted and broken and depressed, but now you're different. What does all this mean? How many of y'all know the first place we should go is to the Bible and say that there was a God of the Bible that changed me and he created this new heart in me and what you're seeing is him. It's not me. If it were me, I'd be doing the same things, but God broke me free. So come and lean in. Let this be a sign and a wonder of the power of God in every generation to break people free. But it's a great, powerful introduction. And Peter, he pulls him in. He said, you know what this means? You want, you want, you want to understand this? Well, lean in. And, and I'm just going to read you his sermon. Can I do that? I'm going to read you what, what he said. In Acts 2, verses 22 through 26, here, here's what he said. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus, this Jesus, everybody say this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, concerning Christ, I saw the Lord. Watch this. He is always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Listen, I know the world is shaking. I know the economy is being shaken. But when you set the Lord before you, all of that may shake, but you won't. You'll stand firm. 
He's at my right side, at my right hand. Therefore, I will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. How many of y'all know God is our peace? He's our comfort. He's our provider. If everything else breaks, come on, He is the constant thing in our life. Everything else is broken, but He remains the same. The God of all creation, stable and steady. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just get excited. But for David says, I, I saw him. He's always before me. He's at my right hand. Therefore, I will not be shaken. He says this, therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. Verse 27, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. That is the place of death. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. How many of y'all know in the presence of God there is fullness of joy? Verse 29, brothers! So he goes to David, then he comes back. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, David's dead. He went to the grave and he stayed there. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would, notice this carefully, would set one of David's descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. How many of y'all know Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead? That Watch this. He rose, but it's also, when we talk about Easter, it's also a state of being. He not only rose, he is risen. Are y'all with me? He rose, but he is risen. He is seated in heavenly places, okay? He died, but he came back to life. Come on, man, I'm tempted to preach Easter right now. But I won't. Verse 32. This Jesus, everybody say this Jesus. God raised up. And of all that, he says we're all witnesses. Therefore, verse 33. Being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Man, y'all are awake. The first service, it was quiet. Did y'all feel that? You felt that. Look at verse 36. You're going to feel this one. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and, you say it, and Christ. Look at this. I can't prove it, but I think he looked at him with his finger and said, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now let's stop right there. Whoa. How many of y'all know Peter didn't show up to win friends and influence people? Here, I want you to see a contrast. Do you guys remember the Peter that we read about in the Gospels right before Jesus was crucified? I alluded to this several weeks ago. Do you remember what he did? He did what we've all done. What did he do? He denied Jesus. How many times? And if you remember the, the scenario, Peter is there warming himself by the fire. He was comfortable. He was comfortable where he was. And listen to this. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. He denied even knowing him as he warmed himself by the fire. He called down curses on himself. He swore that he had no part with this man, that he didn't even know him. All right. Now, again, I say all the time, the story of Peter gives me hope. Peter was loud, abrasive, first to commit, last to follow through. You know, he is a picture of all of us. How many of y'all know we've all here in some way or another denied Jesus with our words or by our lifestyle, sometimes with both? How many of y'all would say that's true of your life? We all have. But here's what I want you to see. We see in the Gospels, Peter warming himself in comfort by the fire, denying that he even knew Christ. But then watch this. On the day of Pentecost, the fire of the Holy Spirit came the Holy Spirit filled Peter and the fire of Pentecost turned and changed Peter into a different man. 
before he wasn't even able to, to own the fact that he knew Christ. But now on the day of Pentecost, he's up preaching Christ with great conviction to thousands of people. How many of y'all know the Spirit will empower you to do incredible, extraordinary, out-of-this-world type of things? The Bible says of Saul, Old Testament, that when the Spirit came upon Saul, he was turned, he was changed into a different man. And listen to me. You might be broken, you might be addicted, you might be in depression, you might feel like you don't have that much to offer, but listen, it's not about you, it's about God. And when you open your life and you empty yourself of you, God comes to live inside of you and He enables you to do the impossible. And I believe in these end times, He's raising a church not known for hype or for all the one-liners, but an army of men and women who just simply pray by the power of the Spirit to see mountains move, demons expelled, come on, and lives changed. Somebody texted me the other day and said, hey, I heard it was awesome at Midtown. It was like a Pentecostal service. And I was like, oh, Lord. I mean, that can be good, it can be, but it just depends on what you mean by that. There are different ideas uh, that come to people's minds. And, and, and I responded by saying, really? I mean, really? All, all we did was just pray for people. All we did was show up, and right here, we believe God to do the impossible. We believe that God can still set people free, that He who the Son sets free can be free indeed. If that's what it means to be Pentecostal, I guess, okay, that's us. If that's what it means, if it means to come to this place and into small groups and go into the community and the power of the Spirit to proclaim His name and to see people set free, then we, I guess, we're Pentecostal. But I mean, y'all know we don't have to, we don't have to hype it up. We don't, we don't have to get in the flesh to make it, it look like something's happening when something's really not happening. Come on, how many of y'all know there's just power in the name of Jesus? If we just pray for the sick, preach the word, do life together, and make Jesus the point of it all, he'll be glorified and people's lives will be changed. Come on, y'all. Now, I guess we're Pentecostal if that's what, yeah, I guess that's what that means. But, so P Peter went from, check this out. The fire of comfort turned into a fire of conviction as he preached Jesus to his audience. He could have shared anything. He could have said, write this down. Here are four steps to you becoming a better you. He could have done that. He could have given some self-help. He could have. Well, because he was controlled by the Spirit, it really wasn't, really wasn't a possibility. Peter was so full of God that the only thing he could share was God. Here's your step. Repent, trust in Jesus, and he will change your life. But here in the sermon, I mean, I love Peter. I love this man. I love him because I identify with him, but I love the way he preached. He wasn't perfect, but, man, he was full of fire, full of the gospel, full of God. And, and here's what he shared. You know, I, th I think if I were to say, in, in all respect, St. Peter, uh, Apostle Peter, give, give me your four points from, from this sermon. I mean, break it down. Because, I mean, as I read that, I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, you wake up in the morning, you're reading, you know, this, and your kids are all around, you're trying to concentrate on the Word. I mean, what do you do with all that in red in the morning? All right, well, if you read it and study it, God will show you some truth in it. But let, let me just break this down for y'all. Can I do this? Can I do this for you? Three people said yes. Can y'all do this? Y'all talk to me. Y'all have had a ton of coffee, so hell, I need some. Talk to me. Can I do this? Here it comes. So, Peter shares this. If you're taking notes, write this down. You should. Number one. Peter says, basically, number one, that Jesus claims were not without evidence. That, that God, watch this, God placed his stamp of approval on Jesus. That when Jesus spoke, his words, his words were powerful. Spirit and truth and life flowed from his words. But Jesus wasn't just a man of talk. His words were backed up by his works. Are y'all with me? So Peter is basically saying that, that Jesus was a sign-producing Savior. He was a miracle-working Messiah. That he calls him Jesus of Nazareth, but how many of y'all know his real home wasn't Nazareth. Jesus came from the Father, from heaven to the earth, and he came with an assignment, and it was to destroy the works of the devil. That he didn't come from some 
ultimately some podunk town like Nazareth, less than a thousand people with basically barely a Sonic and a Walmart. Not even a big Walmart, a small Walmart. He didn't come from a, just from that little place. He came from heaven and he came full of power and he came full of authority. And when Jesus ministered, signs and wonders followed him. How many of y'all know? He cast out demons. He raised the dead. Jesus walked on the water. I have, I have floated uh, in the Sea of Galilee with some other guys from a university on the water, at least on that body of water where Jesus... Hey, y'all, I was so tempted to just, you know, see if this thing works. But everybody had their phones out, and I didn't want to be on social media as, as the Peter, you know, drowning in the, in the water. But come on, he, he walked on the water. Like, we take this, like, for granted. But he walked on the water. And, and who did he do this in front of? The Jews. Who is Peter addressing on the day of Pentecost? The Jews. How many of y'all know Peter knew his audience? And he's saying, listen, all this stuff about Jesus, I mean, this stuff wasn't done in a corner. These signs and these wonders and these works, this was all done before your very eyes. Now, why do you think he belabored that point? To show them that they had no excuse for their unbelief. My old pastor used to say it this way, that there is never enough evidence to satisfy an unbelieving heart. People say, I need more. I need another sign. I need another miracle. Oh, then I'll believe. No, no, no. There's never enough evidence to satisfy an unbelieving heart. That's why we need a new heart. Think about this. God himself was in town. Think about this with me. Come on, lean in emotionally with, this, with me on this. Envision this. In, in Jesus' day, there was the temple, of course, where people would go and, and pray and meet with God. But think about this. Jesus left heaven to walk the earth. And as Jesus of Nazareth walked through Jerusalem, it wasn't just a man. Yes, he was a man. But how many of y'all know he was the God-man? God was right in front of their very eyes, performing signs, wonders, miracles. Jesus died, but he was raised back to life. And Peter saying, you've got plenty of evidence. You've got plenty of proof that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, Peter's very strategic here. He's very strategic because he starts there, but he goes on to prove this point. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus' claims were not without evidence. There was a lot of evidence that backed up who he said he was. But number two, watch this. Ooh, this is good. Because I'm going to clear up a song that we sang earlier. Jesus' death, number two, was not an accident. It was not an accident. It was according to the predestined plan of God. Look back up in chapter 2. And Peter speaks of, in verse 23, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. All of this was according to these things, which basically means this. Let me make this simple. It wasn't as though, you know, Jesus was born and was really trying, you know, to like live a good life and, you know, avoid conflict, but just somehow, some way, like, you know, the devil you know, tempted him and worked in Peter, worked in the Jews, worked in the Romans, and somehow, just on accident, like Jesus went up on the cross. And it's a, just a terrible tragedy. We know from, from this point of view that it all worked out. But, but, but listen, his death, listen to me, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like, you know, it just kind of happened. No, Peter says, listen, I want you Jews to know, the Jewish leaders to know, you guys are responsible for, for putting this man to death. But, but he backs it up, and the Bible says, Peter actually says this later, he says that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. The death of Jesus was not an accident. It was not the devil working to get him there like God was trying to get him out of it. No, from the very beginning, the death of Jesus was the predestined, I'm like Tim Delina spitting on y'all, the predestined plan of God. Meaning this, God decreed it, God planned it, and God worked in the hearts of sinful men to make sure that Jesus would be nailed to that cross. And aren't you glad that God had that plan? Because when Jesus died, death died with him. Your salvation is not an accident, 
because Jesus purchased you on purpose. Isaiah 53 says it was the Lord's will to crush him. And how many of y'all know from the crushing of that cross flows the joy and the power of your salvation? It wasn't an accident. It was on purpose. And, you know, it's like we hear these things like, what do you do with that? Like, do you clap when I say that Jesus' death was, a, it was on purpose? I mean, what do you do with that emotionally? Well, on one hand, it's like, oh, gosh. It wasn't just the, the Jewish leaders who put Christ on the cross, I mean, through the agency of the Romans. It wasn't just them, but how many of y'all know? We're all responsible for Jesus' death, at least by extension. You say, what does that mean, Pastor Scott? It means this, that you were born with the sin of Adam. You were born in Adam. You were born broken. You were born with sinful proclivities. And all it takes is about, you know, a year or two for those sinful proclivities to start to come out. How many of y'all know you don't have to teach children to lie? Did you ever have a tutorial? Come here, Johnny Jr., and teach your, your Johnny to lie? Did you have to do that? Did you have to say, listen, today, let me show you, there's a tutorial on deception. You don't have to teach your children, not that you would, but you don't teach them. Don't they come out of the womb, like cute and cuddly? I kind of looked like an alien, but, you know, cute and cuddly, but, but, but full of sinful potential. Are you with me? We come into this world with the curse of Adam. And though cute and cuddly, yes, just watch that child grow up. And apart from the work of God, that man or that woman, as, as he or she grows up, watch this, will continue to walk in unbelief and sin. And because of that sin, that person is doomed and damned. And their only hope is a substitute, one who would come and die in their place to forgive their sins and to give them a new start. Somebody had to do it. And we know from the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it. The sacrifice of animals really couldn't do it. There's only one who could take away your sin and transfer you from Adam into God, and his name is Christ. He came to set the captives free. And it wasn't an accident. It was on purpose that he came. Are y'all with me? Yes. On purpose. And when he came and he died, Jesus put death to death. We put him there. The Jews put him there. We all put him there. And like Joseph's brothers, let me go back to this. Check this out. Like Joseph's brothers, the Jews and the Romans, they meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. God didn't just say, okay, let's see what happens. And in the middle of time and space, you know, God turned things around. No, from the foundation of the world, God decreed and he planned that Christ would live, perform miracles, and then he would get on that cross and die for the sin of the world so that your salvation is not a possibility. It's an absolute certainty. Thank you, God. There's no chance with God. He's not rolling the dice or flipping the coin. He's not going, I hope this works out. I'm going to turn it. No, he decreed it to happen this way. Lord have mercy. And he meant it, not, not the death of Jesus, not for the saving of, uh, of, of people in Egypt. He, he, he did it for the saving of billions of souls. The worst sin ever committed. What is it? The slaughter of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest sin in the world. So how can we clap? at that. Well, because the Jews and the Romans meant it for evil, but God decreed it for your good. I'm teaching you all today. I'm taking you deeper into the word. Thank you, God. Thank you. This was not an accident. This was your plan. Do y'all see what Peter's doing here? What's the point of Peter's message so far? Jesus I mean, here, here's the way you determine good preaching. You just ask the question, is Jesus all up in the middle of it? And I don't care how eloquent it is, how even helpful it can be. I mean, there are a lot of communicators today in the world sharing helpful things, and that's fine. But preaching is Jesus-centered, spirit-empowered. It's Jesus. How many of y'all know he's the champion, not the preacher? Come on. He's the champion. Make much of him. My job is to pull you in and, and then get you to him and I'm going to get out of the way and let him do what he does. Are you all with me? Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. 
So his death was not an accident. Number three, let me, let me speed up. Jesus' death was not the final word. It wasn't the final word. Peter says, you crucified him. You. I was responsible by extension because of my sin. Because of the necessity of salvation through a substitute. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. And so are you. All of you here. But Peter says to his audience, you crucified him. But God raised him. Say that with me. Say this. Uh, say, you crucified him. Say this, but God raised him. You crucified him. God raised him. Ooh, I know we're not to Easter yet, but when I start thinking about this, yeah, Jesus died. But on the third day, in that dark tomb, his fingers started wiggling. His toes started wiggling. Those holy toes, those holy feet started moving. And the crucified Lamb of God got back on his feet. And he walked out of that tomb in resurrection. Whoa, come on, y'all. He rose, but he is risen. And here's what I want you to understand. I'm not picking on anybody when I say this. I want to be careful. I don't want to intentionally offend anyone. But we say things like in the church, I ask Jesus into my heart. Listen, Jesus is too big to fill your heart. Okay? Let me, let me help you. Yes, the Spirit lives within. Yes. Jesus is not technically in our hearts. According to Peter and according to the New Testament, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, ruling the world with absolute authority. I know it's a way of speaking. I asked Jesus in tomorrow. I understand. But the biblical language isn't that. Jesus, he died, he rose, and then he ascended. And right, right now, where, where is Jesus right now? Where? Y'all are the smartest service. He's beside the Father. He is in heaven with God, ruling and reigning the universe. And there is a sense, a sense in which, by the Holy Spirit, that, of course, Christ lives in us. But technically, Christ is in heaven. The Spirit is within. And how many of y'all know, the Spirit is the one who empowers us to believe the Father thought your salvation, the Son bought your salvation, and the Spirit brought your salvation in the past. Come on, we serve a Trinitarian awesome God. Woo, it's getting hot up here. Y'all with me? How many of y'all, this is good stuff, man. I can preach this all day. I know you don't want to sit here all day, so let me get to it. Here, he goes back to David. And David said about this Messiah, the, the Lord said to my Lord, basically, God said to the Messiah, the Lord said to the Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Well, that's fighting language, isn't it? The meek, mild-mannered Christ was slaughtered and then raised to life. And Peter's just, he's hammering it. Why is he hammering it? Because he is trying to get his audience to know that they were responsible for it all. They had no excuse. All these wonders were done right in front of them. But Peter said, I want you to know that Jesus died, but death didn't have the final word. Death, listen to me, death died in the death of Jesus. Your death was put to death. In the words of the great Puritan John Owen, your death was slaughtered. The, the concept, the idea, the, the, the reality of death has been swallowed up in the victory of Christ's cross and his resurrection. Come on, y'all. Isn't that great news? And so what Peter belabors this point and basically saying, you know, David, David saw corruption. He's still in the tomb. But this Jesus, whom you crucified... He went in the tomb, but he's no longer there. Watch this. We're, we're getting there. We're almost done. Now stress uh, qualified almost. Watch this. Stick with me. Y'all are amazing. Y'all are amazing. Number four, if you're taking notes, write this down. God, God, Peter says, God made Jesus. Two things. Please get this. Please with me. Please get this. God has made Jesus both. Everybody say both. Lord. Everybody say Lord. And Christ. Say with me. Both what? 
What do these words mean? Well, I don't want, again, I don't want to belittle or pick on anybody, but oftentimes people hear you know, the, the words, the name, Jesus and Christ, and they think, you know, Jesus was the first name and Christ was the last name. No, seriously. I mean, people often think that. But when, it, when you hear the word Christ at the end, don't think of his last name. Don't, 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 don't think that. When you, think, when you hear Jesus, Jesus means Savior, the saving one, Jesus, Jesus Christos. Think, think, when you hear Jesus, think what? Saving one, okay? Think Savior. When you hear the word Christ, the Greek term is Christos. You know what that means? Anointed one. Are you all with me? So Jesus is the saving one, but he's the saving one because he is the, uh, look at y'all. He's the anointed one. So Jesus Christ is the, starts with an L, Lord. What does Lord mean? Where well, it comes from a Greek term, kuios, and the word means this. It means master, and it means, or means sir. So check this out. Oh, this is so good. Jesus is the saving one. Because he is the anointed one, but he's not only anointed, he is the master of all things. He is the ruler of all things. So he is the, the master of all things. He's the master who is anointed, who came to save, and he came to set people free. He is Lord over creation. He is Lord over every person. He is not just risen, but he is ruling and he is reigning as the master of the universe. So this Jesus from Nazareth, from this small town, God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is the anointed one, but he is also the master. The one you put to death has been raised in victory. What? Like, I mean, you can just see Peter's veins coming out. You did it. You did it. You're without excuse. He walked among you and he talked and he performed miracles and he came full of love and mercy in his heart and you put him to death. And then he adds to it, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here a little bit, but you put him to death, but God raised him. Later it says they were cut to the heart. Meaning, dear Lord, what have we done? We killed him. God raised him. I bet there was a fear. How many of y'all know there was a fear? A holy, healthy fear. But here's what happened. God made him both Lord and Christ. He was Lord in Christ. God made him that, declared that about him. Let me ask you a personal question. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Just a question. I think most of us here would say he's the Savior. Would you say that? Most of us here would. Um, but is he the Lord of your life? Because if you receive the biblical Christ, he's both Lord and Savior. Is he the Lord of every area of your life? Just a question. Is he the master of every area of your life? Before you came to Christ, you served sin, and sin was your master. You did what the sin in you led you to do. Amen? Don't get excited about it, but testify. Come on, it's true. It's true, huh? Before I got saved, there was no temptation. I just did it. You were enslaved to sin. But then when you, when you believed in Christ... He set you free. He emancipated you. But he didn't free you to go find another master. He freed you so that you could become under him, under his authority, so that he would be your new master. Not another master out there, but when you come to Christ, he's your savior. Come on, he shed his blood. So now you can enter into that relationship, but not just in him, but come on, y'all, under him. So now... Guess what? If you're truly a Christian, then he must have control over every area of your life. You hear that? No, not that, but you hear the silence? <laughs> every area? 
Not just over potluck dinners and church stuff, but like every area. Not just over things that happen at church, but e like <laughs> every area. Now, if you're anything like me, the way I like to say it is as follows. It's easy to surrender <laughs> some parts of your life. Isn't it? You get saved, come to Jesus, come to church, yes. Jesus, here, take this part because you aren't doing too well with it anyway. Jesus, you can have this area because I didn't want that area anyway. You, you take, how many of y'all know sometimes we give God the leftovers? Jesus, you can have this, but oh, but Jesus, we don't say this, but this is the attitude. You can have this area. You can be my savior. But Jesus, I don't want to hear what your word says about my relationships and my sexuality. I'll sleep with whomever I want. And you can't tell me differently. Now, I don't think any of y'all have ever said that out loud. If you had, I'm going lightning. <laughs> now, Jesus, I know you're my Savior. And grace is like cane sauce. When I go through canes, I don't even order a meal. I'm like, can I have 15 orders of those little cane sauce things? How many of y'all know cane sauce can make any bad meal good? Doesn't, if you cooked a bad meal, ladies, wives, just dump a bunch of cane sauce upon that. That's like grace. Grace makes it all good. Y'all with me? You can have this area, but Jesus, I don't want you to talk to me about my drinking. By the way, having a glass of wine is not a sin. Alcohol is not like a sinful substance. Like it's got sin in it. And you drink it, then it gets in you. No, the sin's in you. You understand? You can have these areas, but don't talk to me about my drunkenness. You can talk to me about these things. Here, here, Jesus, all of it's messed up anyway. I mean, I needed help, but I don't need any help with this. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And listen to me carefully. This is for me and for all of us. Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. And he must be Lord of all or he's not at all. If he's the Lord of one area, then he must be Lord of every area. Someone said, Pastor Scott, you know, uh, come on, man. I mean, do I really have to make him Lord of every area? He can be Lord of my small group. He can be Lord of Sunday mornings. Does he have to be Lord of Saturday nights? It's like, can't Jesus like, give us just one day? One day, God. Just one day. The rest of the week, I'll start. I mean, I'm being silly, but are y'all with me? Do I really have to make him Lord? Well, he already is Lord, by the way. But do I really have to obey him? Because you know I grew up and people talked about obedience and it was sin and hell and fire and condemnation and, you know, what you lose that long enough, don't you eventually quit? You quit doing it? Some of you are so beat up because that's all you ever heard growing up. And listen, if all you ever hear is the message of your sin and your depravity and how bad you are off apart from Christ, listen, that's not the gospel. That's part of the gospel. How many of y'all know the good news is really good once you understand just how bad the bad news really is? And when you understand how bad you are, then the good news comes in to say, though this is you, you're born this way, you don't have to stay that way. Somebody's got to preach this. It's not just forgiven, it's transformed and changed and delivered. Don't tell me that you have to be addicted for the rest of your life. Don't tell me that you have to walk in addiction and, and sin and darkness for the rest of your life. Don't tell me that. When you say that, you're saying your sin is more powerful than your Savior. Peter points to this truth that Jesus was crucified, but he was raised in power. And he has authority over your sin. He has authority over the darkest areas of your life. And the God who shines light into darkness says, let those dead bones live. 
through the preaching of the gospel, through the power of the word, you can get up and go and sin no more. Has anybody told you that? That's a question. Has anybody told you that? I've, thank you, Miss Mary. <laughs> Behold, a woman of wisdom. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. When we, yes, when you ask the question, do I really, must I really make him Lord of every area of my life? Let me answer the question with a question. Is he worthy of every area of your life? He is the creator of every area of your life. He is the one who has the power to bless every area of your life. He's the one seated in heaven beside the Father. And if he's worthy of heaven, then he's worthy to fill every area of your life and take up residence over it all. So watch this. From your friendships to your finances, whether you're onshore or offshore, from the boardroom to your living room to the bedroom, from coast to coast, from sea to shining sea, Jesus must be Lord of all. Or he's not at all. We're just a bunch of religious people claiming to be forgiven but at the end of the day, looking just like the world. Oh, doesn't that hurt? Jesus died to create not a perfect church, but a pure church. A pure church. A pure church. But I'm afraid today, and I don't want to be negative. There's way more to it than this, but let me just say this simply. I think there are many Christians who have just never heard this. And they're walking in the grace of God and almost just expecting defeat. But God's grace will cover it all. I think there are many who just walk in open compromise, come to church, talk about the name of Jesus, and pray in the name of Jesus but never really come under the authority of Jesus. Are you all with me? You don't have to answer out loud. Is that you? Well, I mean, you can answer if you like to. I'll give you grace right here. It's true of all of us to some extent, at some point in our lives. I'm almost done. Acts 19, 13 through 16. Listen, this is nuts. What I'm about to read is nuts. Y'all want to hear a nutty story? Y'all want to hear a nutty story? Well, watch this. Acts 19. Then some, watch this, y'all, some of the itinerant, everybody say itinerant. You know what that means? People that moved all over the place, just traveling place to place. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Look at this, verse 14. Seven uh, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Skeva were doing this. Look at verse 15. This is priceless. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who the heck are you? <laughs> Y'all see that? Verse 16, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's a picture of a lot of Christians today. These Jewish exorcists, were, they were religious, but they didn't really have a relationship with Jesus. They heard there was power in the name, and so they took the name, and they went out into the ministry field for their own purposes, and they tried to use the name Jesus to expel demons, evil spirits. They tried, in this particular case, look at what it says. I adjure you, they said by the name of, 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 of the Jesus that Paul proclaims. And then, then it says this, the evil spirit, it's like he just stood here like this. You trying to cast me out? Good luck. Jesus I know, because Jesus is under authority, under the authority of the Father. 
Paul I know because Paul is under the authority of Jesus, but who are you? Hey, look at what it says. The Spirit in the man, the spirits work in the man, and in this man, look at this, he overpowered the exorcists and mastered them and beat the tar out of them so that they fled the house naked and bleeding and wounded. I mean, what a picture. Are y'all seeing this? And here, here's the point. Here were individuals trying to use the name of Jesus without being under the authority of Jesus. They were just trying to use the name for their own purposes, but there was no real relationship. If you want to know why your life is defeated, why you're down, and why you're in the same cycle of sin and darkness, it might be because you're just using the name without being submitted to the name. Sometimes it's because of our brokenness that we do broken things, but let's be honest. If we would submit to Jesus, come under his authority, how many of y'all know there's a lot of sin and stupidity? stupidity and mistakes that we could avoid. There's a lot of pitfalls and holes, potholes that we could avoid if we would just come under and say, Jesus, thank you for saving me, but you're not just my Savior. You're also my Lord. I don't know why. I can't, I can't get out of this. Because you are choosing to come under the authority of the old man that should have been put to death. You're coming under the authority of sin. You have to stand upright and by faith say, Jesus, I'm coming under you. Lord, thank you for saving me. But Jesus, whatever you say, that I will do. Let me ask you a question. Can you live holy for five minutes? Then it is possible. Can you live holy for a day? Can you serve God in the power of the Spirit for an hour? Then why not do that every hour? Oh, you're going to mess up. Oh, I regularly pray, God, if you kept a record of sin, who could stand? Certainly not me. You understand what I'm saying? But is there power in the gospel or not. Depends on what kind of gospel you heard. You don't get to use his name until you submit to his authority. <laughs> you don't get to use the name until you're on the account. <laughs> Does that make sense? You can't just go to church and into your small groups and into the community and just... The name of Jesus, name of Jesus, name of Jesus, and Jesus like, and you're itinerant, going from place to place to place. And I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here at Midtown. I'm really, really glad you're at Midtown. I love y'all. Y'all are the. I mean, I preached 14 messages from Revelation to y'all. Y'all kept coming back. I love y'all. Y'all can just take it. I love y'all. But check this out. We have to check our hearts on this. I think sometimes we can just be religious. Just using the name. Praying in the name. Expecting blessing in the name. If you want Jesus' blessing then you have to live under his authority. I think it's at WCA. They have the umbrella. As long as you stay under your, you know, the parents under God's authority, children, there's a lot of truth here. Stay under the umbrella, under your parents' authority. And what happens? You get to withstand the storm. I don't know what they say. Listen, the safest place to be the safest place in the universe is under the authority of Jesus. Because he's not trying to ruin your life. He's trying to lead you to the source of it, which is him. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Under him, in him, is the safest place in the world. 
So let me just sound real Baptist. If you're living with someone, having sex with someone that's not your husband or wife, man, repent, stop, get out. Get married. Repent of your sin. We'll help you. You say, well, I've got these urges. I understand. I get it. But is that sin, that sinful desire, is that your master or is Jesus your master? Are you struggling? But I just, I understand. When I met that woman, Lord, have mercy. That woman, that's Kelly, my wife. She was hot. She was holy, full of the word and wisdom. What do you think I, never mind. My name is Pastor Scott, and I'm just like you. I understand. Repent. Stop. Get out. Tell that man of yours, tell that woman of yours, we're going to do this Jesus way, or we're not going to do it at all. Because when you do it His way, you get His blessing. It's not to... You know, ruin your fun. You get married and I don't think I see any kids you can have as much sex as you want, as often as you, you get after it. But do it in marriage. Go with me? Man, if you're addicted to pornography, confess it. Get out of there quickly. It's better to lose a $1,500 Dell than to have your body thrown into hell. That was bad. That was just ridiculous. Take that off the audio. All right. Okay, watch this. We're done after this. So, under him is the safest place in the universe. My way is the highway to destruction. His way is the path to true life. And Jesus wants us to know him as Savior, but he also wants us to receive him as Lord. And y'all, this is, this is the message that God is speaking to the church today through faithful preachers. I, I'm not perfect, but I want to be faithful to this message. I'm going to preach it first to myself, and I'm also going to share it with you. If I'm not living it, I'm going to sit my rear end down. Until I do. But we are compelled, mandated, even commanded to preach Christ crucified, risen, and reigning. See, while speaking in tongues grabbed the, the, the crowd's attention, it was the preaching of Jesus' Messiahship and His Lordship that gripped their hearts. Because it says here in Acts 2.37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, I love this question. Brothers, what must we do? Wow. What a question, huh? The Word did its work. You see what the Word does? When it's believed, it pierces and it convicts. Brothers, what must we do? What shall we do? And I love Peter's response. It's simple. It really is simple. I didn't say easy. I said simple. In Acts 2, 38 and 39, and Peter said to them, say it with me, repent. I'll say it again. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, that's us today, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. But let me focus on this word repent. This word, repent, as I'm sure many of you have heard me say before, it means this, a change of mind, which leads to a change of direction. 
oftentimes we hear the word repent and we think, well, that means crying and just being sorry, you know, blew it again, God, I'm sorry. That's brokenness. There's contrition in that if it's real. But repentance is way more than that. It is coming to a point where you hear the truth. It cuts up your heart in such a way that the logical decision is to say, I'm turning from everything that put Christ on the cross, from every sin that, that secured his death. I, I'm turning from it. But it begins here. It's a change of mind. Peter on the day of Pentecost labored to this text to change their minds. And he was successful because 3,000 were added to the church after his first message. How many of y'all know that's not a bad introductory sermon? And I believe that was just the men, not including the women and children, it's way more. Repent. Repent. Everybody say it, repent. Say it with me, repent. Some of you have heard me talk about the, the, the gal from, from Dallas, Texas. This lady used to call me regularly and give me updates about her life. Little testimonies. Pastor Scott, this happened. Pastor Scott, I gotta tell you about this. And so on one occasion she called, she said, Pastor Scott, I want you to know that I was doing so poorly. But Pastor Scott, I want you to know that since that time, the Lord has worked in my life and I have done a complete 360. Are y'all with me? Even if you failed geometry, you know that if you're doing poorly and you do a 360, then you're back to doing what? I know what she meant to say, so I didn't correct her. What she meant to say was, I was doing awful, but God moved in my life. He convicted me, he challenged me, and he changed me. And Pastor Scott, because of that, because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I have done a 180. I was going in darkness, but now I'm walking in the light because I've responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, y'all. He's Christ.